Hello, what's up? Rich Ryan here, host of the Reinforced Running Podcast. Thanks for joining us again. This episode is HHMC. So if you are just joining us for the first time or just starting to come around to listening, thank you. Welcome. But on Tuesdays, we drop episodes that will interview some of the best and brightest coaches in running and obstacle course racing. And then on Fridays, we drop episodes called HHMC. That's where Josh Reed and I, we sit down and we just chalk it up. We talk about things we want to talk about and also some listener questions that are submitted each week. So this week, listener question comes from Adam Carey, Carey at IG. He asks, what are some unconventional methods we used that help improved our performance? And you might be surprised at the things that we've done, or maybe not, maybe just think that, that, that that's fine, but you should listen either way. And then we talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, which is nutrition habits. I find that this is one of the most overlooked pieces of training and just in terms of the relationship people have with food in general. So I have a lot to say on that. So I say it. And then we talk about the future of dream training, which isn't, isn't a thing yet, but the future of dream training, we talk about it. Awesome. So if you could drop us a five-star rating, hit us with a review, totally helps us. We would love that. And here's my guy, the handsome half moon cookie. Josh Reed. Hi, Josh. Hi, Rich. Josh, what was your worst subject in school? Definitely English. English? Not because I couldn't read, but because when we would read around the classroom, I was the kid that would read in an accent and really piss off the teacher and like I I, would, I, was, I was able to read fluidly, but people would just listen to the accent. And they wouldn't actually like absorb the words I was saying. So it just became an entertaining thing. And uh, I mean, ultimately, I just didn't do my work either. So those two things uh, combined led to less than ideal grades. You say it like it's something that is known, like that it was like, oh, there's a kid in every class that reads with an accent. That's I don't not think a common there, thing. I don't think there's like, there's not that kid in class who speaks with an accent. Like, you did that. What kind of accent was it? Way to was boost it like, my individuality. <laughs> yeah. What kind, what kind of uh, accent would it be? Would it be like a British? I mean, how many accents do, do you know? Brit, well, you know how it is. It's like this this bastardization of like five languages at the same time or accents rather. It's like, I don't know if I'm South African, Australian or British, but it's it's kind of switching between the nuances of each through, throughout the chapter. You know, I would love if the teacher just called you out on that. It's like, are you British? Or or, 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 or or is this Irish? Are you trying to be Scottish right now? Like, what are you doing? Like, if you're going to do this, do this well. Dude, I was blessed. I had one teacher that enjoyed it just because, like, people would listen and it would get me to read. And then other teachers just would not have it. I'd get sent. I, I would start talking and I would accidentally go into an accent when I didn't even mean to. It just ended up happening. And that actually got me led to the principal's office believe it or not the yeah i would uh, i would imagine some teachers really really hated that but like yeah no that's the difference of teachers like a good teacher who saw that is like okay you're mocking a really good book this was a novel you're what are you doing well they take it personal it's like you're being a clown you're doing you're 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 not take you're not not even the the work it's like an insult to them it's like okay let's let's button this up but a good teacher who would be like okay at least he's reading i give so much credit to my teachers and what they put up with 
I like I looking back on it, I realized how strong they have to be to handle like 100 students plus going through their classes a day. They really just can't take anything personal that way. You can't like it's not it's never them. And I when I had teachers that did take things personal, it would just be a war, you know, because like kids aren't going to back down, especially like when you have to read out loud, like like how are these kids are not, they're going to just make it worse. <laughs> like you have to just take it and be like, okay, these kids are just being kids and I'm going to try to reach them. But it's gotta be so freaking hard, man. See, if the school was smart, they would identify friend groups and they would break them up because you get in a classroom with your buddies at all. Oh, uh, done, man. No, I, I know <laughs> that was something I didn't realize happened until later. Cause I actually worked in a, in a school. I was like a, a, a long-term sub for about half a year. I had a classroom. So I got to, and I was a substitute teacher for like two and a half or three years. That sucked. But uh, yeah, it's something that I realized while being in the school system that everyone takes advantage of the sub teacher. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but like it's, it's so you just have to be a jerk. Like I had to go, I went to work every day and was just an asshole. Like I couldn't joke with anybody. I couldn't like let them have an inch. And I just had to like go in there and be grumpy the entire day. It, it wasn't very fun. You know, what would have balanced your grumpiness really well. If you had a hat that was like a foam sub sandwich. So people one knew that you were kidding around a little bit. You had some dry humor and two, you were the substitute teacher because you're wearing the sub hat. Should I wear like a red nose, like big just red shoes? Idea. Ah, might be big shoes just so people know what's up. But the red nose uh, might be a little too much. Okay, so almost a clown, but not quite a clown. All, somewhere in between. Somewhere in between the clown. I wish we would have had this conversation 10 years ago. That would have been been very helpful. But I didn't, I didn't realize back then when I was in classes, because I always had like the, the teachers that were mean and more strict. And I didn't realize that they would actually go in hand and, and like you said, like break up the friend groups. Like they would place kids with teachers based on the kids behavior, behavior and the, the teacher's style. So they would kind of try to do that. So I had all these mean teachers and I didn't have any like perks to being in class. Like we went on like the worst field trips and everything. It's like, Oh, I, field trips. I was a client. Oh, cause you never got to go. Dude, never got the good ones, man. It was yeah, like a three-hour bus ride each way, and you spent like two hours at this place, and you walked around, and you're like, this is where the Battle of Brattleboro happened. And there's some guy like in overalls talking really slow, and you can't hear him because you're messing around with your friends in the back, so that's just what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one time we uh, um, they took it like in seventh grade, like half of the grade, not half of the grade, maybe a little piece of the grade. My, the school I went to was like an, not an awesome school but like some of the, the kids went to dc and i went to like a fucking park a park that was like 30 minutes away it was like not even a cool park like didn't really have like gym equipment it was just like big open grass so like just go don't just don't get lost like don't go get hurt like all right like, this is cool. a great excuse for the teachers to get a quick little vacation midday yeah exactly it's like let's get some parents in here to chaperone and we'll just chill Dude, have you – actually, I lied. There was one field trip we went on that was tits, man. Have you ever been to Medieval Times? Um, No, I actually have never been to Medieval Times. Dude, I'm pretty sure there are multiple like they're around here, but I think it was it was far south. It was like somewhere between us. You know, like I'm up in New York and you're down in PA, and it was, it was south. It might have been like Jersey. But... Yeah, they're like a chain. They're like a thing. Yo, they're brilliant, man. <laughs> you, I, could, I see myself going there now as an adult. But I mean, I'm there as a kid and uh, you're eating like a giant turkey leg and you got like this, uh, this chalice of, I don't know what the heck the beverage was. It was probably Dr. Pepper or something, you know, but you're just watching people joust inside this arena. It's like, it's all dim lit. There's medieval fighting going on. You're like, oh, this is sick. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would have to, 
that would have been a cool one. That would have been a good one because that would that would have engaged at least the, the clown in me to be like, okay, like there's some clown stuff going on out there for you to. to it's to, very WWE esque because you know it's fake and it's planned, but at the same time, you're like, man, those people are taking a beating. That dude legit just got jousted off his horse. Right, so it, it yeah. would be that entertainment value. That would have been a good one. We didn't we didn't do that. Um, Go there now and uh, put something different than Dr Pepper in your chalice. Get a little rowdy. That's exactly what happened when we were seniors in high school. Doing the off season, we are. Uh, te- I don't know what our grade was doing, but it was right when the movie Troy came out with like with Brad Pitt, you know, Achilles, and uh, we they just let us go to the movies, and these are like eighteen year old kids, so mostly everybody was just like smoking weed and just went to the movies or just didn't go, just like. Like, all right, we're going to the movies for a day. It's like, nah, I'm going home. They could drive. They let us drive there. It was like the most ridiculous excuse. Just like, let's just get these kids the hell out of the school for a couple of hours, and it will just be a it will just be a nice place for that one day. Um, But I went and enjoyed the film at the time. I haven't seen it since, so I don't know how well it holds up. Probably not fantastic, but I enjoyed it in in that moment. Classic. Eric Eric Bana, Brad Pitt. It's not it's not bad. Um, Oh, cool, bro. So to Today, we are going to talk, touch on a couple of topics um, that one is going to be based around performance and some things that we've personally done on, on the, the listener question. And then we're going to get to nutrition habits. I said we we're going to get to it last week. I lied to everybody this week. We're freaking doing it. We, we are doing it. Um, cool. So our listener question of the week comes from Adam Carey. <laughs> who is A.D. Carry on IG. So he asked, what is something you have done that is not mainstream that has improved your performance? So uh, when he's saying mainstream, I'm guessing that it's like the standard advice of uh, like running progressions and also things along the lines of strength training or, you know, hill workouts, like the things that you see a lot, I'm guessing, or the things that there is scientific literature on or just – the basic standard model of training. Um, Josh, what are some things that you've done? Rich, I've done many things, but though I, you know, I, I appreciate that question. It's uh, cause it's, he's realizing that on top of like that fundamental skeleton of like what to follow to get certain results. There's so many like individual little tweaks or, uh, and even if they're not super individualized, like they're, there are things that are kind of coming out of the woodwork that people are realizing like, Ooh, this is something that is, well, like I said, it's like, it's unconventional. It's not super mainstream that people are realizing like, Oh, this, this is something we should start to add in. Like there's, there's some really good benefit here. I, what would you, what's an example? Like, what are you thinking? Dude, the, like, well, talking about stuff that isn't as mainstream, it's, I've, I feel like it's becoming a lot more mainstream as of lately, but that also just might be because like the tighter circle we're in, like in this athletic community. And that is like mobility work. Mm. You know, people are realizing like, Oh, it's not just about like pounding the pavement and you know, put my muscles through the motions, but like, Oh, I have joints that have to take care of and tendons that that like some, uh, some TLC. And then there's, there's, standard static stretching uh versus fluid mobility and you know ground mobility and like things of that nature that you see like the animal flow type stuff that may start making its way into mainstream but right now it's kind of on the periphery it's like i've never seen i've seen it i don't i've never tried it i don't have anybody that's like a practitioner that i can go to so that's a good one for sure so i interrupted you 
No, that's cool. And animal flow is awesome. Those kind of moves that are like really dynamic and learning body control. So mm-hmm. ultimately, like, that's what it comes down to, like learning how to move your body in a super like fluid, uh, organic way, right? Like it's as far away from the machines that dictate your movement as you can get. Totally. Yeah. And that's where like the standard stuff came from, like the Nautilus machines, which would, were just more isolation and meant to build muscle in specific spots. And even then, even in the past, like, you know, 10, 15 years where it's kind of come into like the quote unquote functional fitness realm of things where it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do squats for 50 reps or something along that lines, which wasn't necessarily mainstream then. And I was like, uh, I was actually just watching the the Jordan documentary. I don't know if you've caught any of this. And th- that was something that the, the Bulls were credited for back in the early 90s it was strength training for for sport. Like that wasn't even a thing. Like in the 80s, like they didn't even lift weights. So like that's even something that's been new and that, that would be considered unconventional then, but is now part of our, our standard convention with training. And every team is going to be doing that. Every every player is going to have some sort of – Totally um, makes sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, cool. So this could be something that is – that you might have seen before and now it, it's kind of blending into mainstream or something that is kind of way out there and, and not really practiced much at all. Um, so, yeah, so, so uh, something that it, this also is something that is becoming a little bit more stream, uh, mainstream now. Uh, but back when I started doing it, uh, cliffhanger, what, what is it? What was I, am I talking about? Uh, it wasn't super duper popular and people actually thought that it was really horrendous for you. And that is keto. Keto. I, uh, I initially started uh, a keto diet six, six or seven years ago, uh, mainly for, to combat the, uh, effects of Lyme disease and then came to fa- uh, find that it had some pretty neat, uh, uh, applications for like endurance adaptation and kind of without even knowing it, I'd entered this, this state of, well, with like low carbohydrate, I was no longer like quote unquote, what they call in, uh, in like the keto world, carbohydrate dependent and your body just gets good at using facts. That's all it really has. It has fat and protein. And so it gets good at using those nutrients but you need more mitochondria to efficiently utilize lo- those energy sources compared to carbohydrates where uh, in the lack of like enough oxygen or enough mitochondria, you can use that to reach those higher octane levels and, and continue to perform over time. So keto ended up being pretty sweet for those endurance adaptations. And since I've been doing it for so long because it's something that really benefits you in time like you can't just hop into keto and be a strong endurance athlete in like a month or two it takes it takes a while to adapt to it so that's something that i didn't even really realize uh back then had awesome endurance applications and now it seems to be showing itself in the uh in the endurance world uh, all around me and in like in my performances when i'm out there absolutely and that's something that has definitely been that's completely mainstream now when you go into a bookstore and you see like people smiling on the front of a book like the keto diet how to lose weight through the keto diet that's when it's almost jumped the shark right where people are 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 profiteering from this use of this diet quote unquote and and, and are taking advantage of the people who are just looking to lose some pounds there's people that the, the, the diet hoppers who are looking for that next thing but but back then man yeah it was crazy and it there was when I first heard of this, it was when 
essentially the Atkins diet, it's not the same, but it was like, that was the first real introduction I had to something that would be, um, low carb primarily protein. It's kind of low fat and low carb. Is it? It's no carb. It's, it's no, it's no carb, but it's, it's, it's protein and fat. So, and, and the rub on that was, oh, you're going to get heart disease because you're eating just straight up red meat. And that was at the time where everyone thought like that fat led to cardiovascular disease as opposed to like what and, and obesity where, you know, they might be connected based on the nutrition habits. And there might have been some correlation that came up in some of the studies and, 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 and some of the literature back then, but there wasn't really any like hard causation behind red meat and heart disease. And there, and there just like, isn't. And when this came, it was like, Oh my God, this guy isn't eating bread. And like, it was like this ridiculous thing because like, well, how is he getting all of his whole grains? Dude, I, my friends would be like insulted. We'd be out getting burgers and I'd get the burger like on, on lettuce or something. You know, yeah, you look weird. You're, you're like, who are you? Yeah. And you're like a weirdo, <laughs> you know, like you don't, yeah, I was very it. weird. Yeah, totally. Cause bread was like a staple in everything. Like there was bread with every, every single meal, every meal. I think I had bread every meal for a, a long time. You know, understandably so. It is a fun. It is a fun vehicle for other uh, other things to enter your face hole. Totally fun, but you know, it's like just like in like the food pyramid of of, of the past was, you know, grains and 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 breads or I forget what exactly was said, but that was like the base <laughs> or I think the veggie base. I don't remember what it looked like, but it was really a big chunk of it. Um, so you found out about it because of Lyme's disease, or how did you? Yeah, so when I, back when I found out that I had Lyme, I started doing a bunch of research on it because it was just like, it was horrendous. I was just exhausted all the time. My brain didn't work and it, I was just a miserable person, plain and simple. And uh, so I started like just going over the internet and like so deep trying to find different uh, ways of combating it. And, uh, and I, I forget precisely where I even came across it, but correlations between uh, uh, excess carbohydrates, which I was definitely consuming at the time. I mean, I'd be eating like pizzas and, uh, and, uh, energy drinks and like Arizona iced teas all day long. Like the amount of sugar I was taking in was kind of unnecessary and it was all like super simple sugar. And, uh, but there was a correlation between that and inflammation and Lyme disease is an autoimmune disorder, which is correlated with, uh, inflammation as well so if, like you can reduce inflammation you can strengthen your immune system and uh kind of get your well your immune system under under wraps a little bit so it's not going crazy because ultimately this autoimmune disorder is your immune system is overactive and kind of attacking itself so mm. uh so yeah I, and i ended up putting that into effect and uh and that ended up showing some pretty gosh darn good results. Like at first I was exhausted because you get like that keto flu, which is pretty much like you're having hydration issues. You're not taking in enough sodium. Your body's like, where the heck are the carbs? I have no energy. And like, everything's really weird for like three weeks. And it's Uh, real. And it sucks. (laughs) It is. They call it the keto flu because like you feel like you are sick, like really sick. And that's, it's a tough spot to get through. Like you can kind of mitigate it if you eat enough salt or like you take exogenous ketones, which are things that are like more available now. But back then I didn't really know that, <laughs> but I knew it was, they weren't available. And exogenous ketones being available over the counter has only been like two years, maybe, you know, so it's not like something that has been that you could mitigate and like, you didn't know what to expect. Yeah. You know? I know idea, but like, we know that you can't just hop into something and expect a huge turnaround in a couple of weeks, like any diet you're doing, anything that any changes you're making in your life, like you need to spend a minimum of 
like a month doing it, an absolute minimum to really see any, any effects, like whether that's, that's uh, changing your diet dramatically or like doing some sort of like elimination diet and starting to introduce things back in. Like you need to, you need to be really patient to see these things right out. So I knew that I needed to at least do that and then hopped over the wall. I felt fantastic on the other side. Like I wasn't able to go as hard run wise, but ultimately energy was like smoother throughout the day. And I had a little more mental clarity. So that was working to me. And I mean, you weren't always an endurance athlete. So and this sounds like it might be right around the same timeline as becoming an endurance athlete. Like, did you, is that, is that right? Uh, this was actually, this was a good ways before, like I was going to the gym. So I, I ended up, my, my memory is like about my past. I got to like go through the books, man. But, uh, but there was, I like went into keto and then I ended up finding this guy, I I, don't, I think it might have been Dom uh, D'Agostino, who I'm sure you heard of. He's been on a couple of podcasts talking about. He was that like stuff. one of the. He was like one of the uh, first like pioneers to to popularize this, like to get on Tim Ferriss podcast or get on Joe Rogan podcast, and or to put out papers that like, hey, this is good for the general public. Yeah, so I ended up reading some articles about him about uh, like the anabolic diet, and that was pretty much you're in keto like six weeks out of the week, and then there's one day where you do a carb refeed, which is like mm-hmm. what. Dwayne Johnson does now, but like I started yeah. doing that back then. Cause it was a way to like get those benefits of keto, but at the same time, like replenish your glycogen stores, get in a super hard workout, uh, like a more glycolytic workout. Like say you want like a like, carb up on Saturday, then like Saturday and Sunday, you're going to do your, your hardest, most intense workouts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I like put on some mass. It felt pretty cool. It was an excuse to eat like lots of pancakes. So you, were, you were doing that. Would you, I, I ended up going into that. Yeah. Cool. To, just to try it out. I like that. I actually like that approach. And I think it's a little, it's a little bit more balanced to have something like that, but I, I can certainly see how you can overdo it. Yeah. I for sure was guilty of yo-yoing hard. Like yeah. throughout the entire week, I'd be eating nothing but like lamb and cheese and meat and stuff. And then come the weekend. Yeah. I would just house like chocolate milk and pancakes and I would be going from keto, which is I was following like strict keto. So like less than 50 grams of carbohydrates a day. And then weekends I would just hit like 600 grams and it was, my body didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> I was yeah, like, be- tingling too. I get a pump just eating a meal. It's oh, crazy. No, Seriously, you can so feel like good. the tingling and all yeah. your <laughs> I get a good um, workout. So, okay. So you're doing that for a while and while you were training and um, what were some things that you felt that were I- improving as far as like, cause the question is how does it improve your performance? Like what were some things that you noticeably felt better um, when uh, adjusting from, you know, like a sugar diet to a, uh, ketogenic. Yeah. So with, with, the with like the ketogenic diet, I think the most dramatic thing is just the, the sustained energy or the, the consistency in energy. Like you can wake up, go without a meal, you know, they call it intermittent fasting these days. Uh, and you can go out for an easy run and, uh, like still feel pretty good. Like you normally have hunger, hunger pangs and, uh, just conveniently, you can kind of go through your day without needing to, to take in food because your body's getting gotten really good over the time uh, at metabolizing its own fat stores, which we, I mean, we have a lot of uh, just when you have a, have frequent enough fluctuations in your insulin by eating like carbohydrates at every meal and like spreading it over uh, the day a lot, you just might not be as good at tapping into those fat stores just due to like hormones and how they, how they operate. But the, it definitely became super noticeable when I, when I did get into like more endurance feats, oh, I still wasn't like looking into running or actually doing endurance events, but I was just, I started enjoying the mountains and I would go out for a few hours with nothing but water. 
and mm. I'd feel totally fine. I didn't even think about food. It just like, it never occurred to me. And I didn't realize that that was unnatural mm. until I met like my friends in the triathlon uh, community who we'd go on like a 30 mile bike ride and they'd have like mad snacks with them. They'd be snacking all the time. Like, dude, you're snacking all the time. What's the matter with you? Like I'm about to starve. <laughs> like I'm, I feel my energy in the toilet. And you're like I'm cool. I'm cruising. Yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, cool, man. That's definitely that's a good one, and that's a that's a good way to. As now, there's definitely more resources available, and like you said, there's more. There's a, a clearer, more clear cut path. Like we know something like keto flu is going to come. Like we know there's exogenous ketones for us to to combat and to. Um, to really make it a easier transition than maybe it, it was back then. Yeah. And so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't mainstream back then. It is now, uh, anyone that's like interested in doing that. If you're like an endurance athlete, there is, there is, could be some benefit in doing that for yourself. Uh, definitely like get your blood work done before and after. So you can see changes. Cause that's really important on uh, just, and be patient with it. And know that if you are to like hop into keto right now, you're probably not going to have your best performances in the in the super near future. So it's a it's a long term investment that kind of uh, diet, and it's definitely like the longer I would say beyond marathon. Like when you're getting into like three four hours past that time where most people would normally bonk uh, in a more glycolytic sort of event, that's where it's going to really start to shine. Uh, prime example is like Zach Bitter, hundred miler, uh, follows that kind of diet protocol. But again he's a, a person that responds well to it. So the best mm -hmm. way to see if you respond well to it is be patient, be subjective, take notes and, uh, and get blood work done. But if you're doing stadiums or, or Decafit, don't, don't worry about it too much. You're not really going to see any benefits. I, no. I don't think. That's no, no, sure. Yeah. I, I would, I would definitely have people steer clear from something like that. Yeah. And unless you're like, yeah, oh, above a marathon, unless you are in it for a marathon to just complete and you're, you, you, you might run, you know, four or five, six hours, then maybe there'd be merit toward it but if you're going to be running any pace faster than i think they say what like 70 percent of your vo2 max which is not fast which is about as easy as your easiest run would be um then you're going to be dipping into those carbohydrate stores a little bit more um, yeah so now you have it's kind of a, a similar but alternate story a little bit yeah so it's funny that both of ours are nutrition and mine wouldn't necessarily be considered outside of the mainstream but there is but i find it, it people are haven't really been willing to take the steps to really maximize their like matching their in, input versus their output so a couple of years ago i in uh, took part in this study uh, at Drexel University right here that they were doing with just with athletes, like quote unquote. So you could just email them, hey, I'm an athlete. I want to take part in this study. And the main reason why I wanted to do it is that they have a lab with a, a, a VO2 max. So they would they would put you on the treadmill and give you the VO2 max test. I was like, all right, cool. I want to do that. And then I want to do that. Yeah. I was like, that's great. And they would do it for free. So I was like, perfect. I'll, I would 100% volunteer for this this test because they're expensive if you got to do them on their own. And something I've just been been curious about over the years so I went there and the the test was twofold and it had something to do with wanting to see how the general public and general athletes um, fuel themselves and, and perform so that they can, and, and versus what the military does. It was some, something that would pertain to the military and how we could train and, and, and fuel the soldiers, I guess. Um, so I did the VO2 max test and then they did like the, 
um, they did a, a, a DEXA scan, which is kind of the gold standard for body fat percentage where it's more, it's like an X-ray. And they also did kind of like an in-body thing as well, which is more of like kind of like the electromagnetic or, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, the, those like things you hold for your body fat percentage that like that are wildly inaccurate. Yeah. I had a scale that I would stand on and it would yeah. give me incredibly erratic numbers ridiculous numbers based on a whole bunch of other things so if you have one of those scales if you have one of those things you hold just take it like just try to make it consistent and like take the numbers for what the numbers say not for what the actual percentage of body fat is because it is wrong um but the dexa scan is as close as it's going to get to being right so they did the dexa scan they did the vo2 max they did a resting metabolic rate test which was they just put me in like this big plastic bubble and just had me sit there and literally not move and and I was and it was like you, but I couldn't fall asleep. And at the time, I was working as a personal, uh, like a personal trainer in person. So you know, I was getting up at like four thirty every day and going to bed at like ten. So I was like, I, I couldn't just sit and not fall asleep. But anyway, so they gave me my resting metabolic rate test, which is just how many calories you burn at rest without doing anything, just to just to live. And then at the end, they gave me um, a, uh, accelerometer, which is on like a something like a risk-based um, way to kind of calculate how many calories you burn throughout a day. And they, I went away for a week and then, and then came back um, to, to kind of get the results and kind of go over things again and kind of redo some of the, the testing. And over the course of that week, at the time I was um, working in a personal trainer, so a lot of movement there. I live in the city, so I don't, I only walk or bike places and I was training probably, 10 to 12 hours a week. I was running, I think 60 to 70 miles and like doing CrossFit like three times a week or something like that. So I was moving a lot. I was doing, I was doing a lot of stuff and I had been counting macros for a long time. And that's kind of how I track my nutrition. Um, with typically the idea of trying to lose fat most of the time. And at the time, I think I was eating right around 2,500 calories. I went back and got these test results and, um, they looked at everything, uh, over the course of the week and they said I was burning 63, hundred calories a day. A day. <laughs> so there I was like I was like, what? Like how is that even a thing? I was like, I'm eating like twenty five hundred calories. Like I'm not even losing weight. Like I don't even know what's going on. The guy, the guy like he was like a younger kid and uh nice dude, really smart. He's like, oh well you're probably just like not tracking it well. It's like you think I'm mistracking by twenty five hundred calories? <laughs> yeah. It's like how could I I was like, oh yeah I forgot I ate that whole like carton of peanut butter. That's right. I didn't log that. I'm definitely over on my, my, my calculations here, but, uh, and that was just really eye opening for me. So something that, so I started to eat that much. <laughs> it's like almost overnight I went from like 2,500 to like, there's been several times where I've aimed to hit 6,300 calories depending on, on the day of work. Um, that's a sweet, that's a sweet study that you were a part of. That's cool that you had that done. I know it was cool. And I went there for the VO2 max test and that, literally provided me with the least amount of value that, uh, of, of the whole thing. Like the, and that was, it was so eye opening, and then just really eating to where my output is. It, it, and that was something that is, I don't feel as mainstream, but I don't feel like people are willing to do or, or they want to put in that work to, to find out. And I think the percentage of people who are doing that is like, I don't know. 2%. Do you remember what your metabolic rate was? It was like 1700 calories. Word. Something like that. Yeah. yeah 16, 1700. Um, like when I was, well, when I was doing like a kind of the bodybuilding thing and I was looking into that world, you would hear all the, all the best, biggest guys say like, listen, you get done with the gym and then the kitchen becomes your second gym. 
the like eating is the work. You don't get big just by lifting heavy weights. Like you have to eat a crap ton of food. Mm-hmm. You have to eat so much food. There has to be massive surplus for your body to get the signal. It's like, okay, we can we can put on some extra weight. We can carry this around. Life's good right now. Whenever people whenever people do say it's like, oh, I tried to put on weight and I can't. It's like you haven't tried. You haven't tried. Just because you ate an extra like peanut butter sandwich, like you haven't tried. You haven't done it because you have to like eat and eat meat to, to keep up with what you're doing at the gym. Yeah. Um, and it was wild, man. Like, because I wasn't losing. And then I started to eat more and I got leaner, like way leaner. Dude, how cool is that? Fucking crazy. So, and like, dude, my macros were wild. I was like 175 protein. It was like 650 carbs. And like, it was like 300 grams of fat some days. Dude, I feel like so many people need to hear that. Because, yeah, it's just, oh, calories in, calories out. It's like, listen, you very well may underestimate how many calories you're actually burning. And when your body's in a stressed state, like nutritionally, it's in starvation mode. It's like, we're not getting rid of any of this. We're right. holding on. Dude, I had the same experience uh, two years ago when I was uh, going into uh, World's Toughest Mudder. I started uh, picking up my volume. It was like the first time I'd ever gone up to like 70 mile weeks. And I increased the amount of food I was eating dramatically. I think I, I went up to, yeah, I was doing like 4,500 calories a day. Nice, minimum. Yeah. Dude, and I started, I dropped five pounds over the course of two weeks. I was so lean. I went to that race like, holy Yoked. shit. Take pictures. Yeah, the uh, and that's the thing, man. Like, and it goes both ways. Like you said, like, yeah, it does kind of get into this um, like starvation mode plateau more or less, which people do believe to, to be a thing. I believe it's, it's real. Like if you are in such a deficit, your body isn't going to send a signal because it's in, it's in crisis mode. It's like, we don't know when we're going to eat again. We, we, we are working so hard and we're not getting the the resources we need. So we got to hold on to this extra stuff, but it also puts us at a really, in a really hard position and real easy for people to overdo it the other way and just kind of have a, a, a like a more or less a binge session session, you know, like, cause we're just hungry, you know, and, and, and that's, and it can have like a wild swing in the other direction. Um, so well, yeah, I, I stopped doing that anabolic diet thing. Cause I was like, I'm getting too crazy on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a license to just do it. And like, if you're, if you're starved for something like that and not giving yourself time to adjust, like, yeah, you're just going to eat a whole thing of pancakes. You're going to eat like how I've seen the rock, how he does those, those rebuilds, but he's like, what yeah. do you think he weighs? 260, 270? Dude, like a large individual. Huge, huge. Um, so yeah, yeah I, was that, playing, I was playing love game, love games with my uh, taste buds. I'd stop. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, you just like look forward to it. It's like I want pizza and Legit, I, I would look for it, like it'd be over and come Tuesday, like 48 hours later, I was looking forward to it again. <laughs> Can't live weekend a weekend. That and that's great. Like the it was wild when I was eating these days with like sixty three hundred calories that I would be hungry the next day. And if it would be like because I would kind of cycle it based on the activity. So it'd be like sixty three and the next day it would be like, you know, thirty five or something like that. And I'd be starving the next day. Again, I was so used to just crushing food that like you just kind of get used to it. It is wild. Um Yeah, cool. So this that so and that kind of goes along the lines of these nutrition habits that we do want to pick up and talk about now. And it's funny that both of our things were nutrition based because I found that people use nutrition as almost a way to mitigate damage. And they, 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 they talk about it like it's something they are protecting themselves from. When I ask people about nutrition, like, Oh, you know, no, I'm pretty good. I try to eat like healthy ish and it's never about using it to their benefit. And, and literally both of the things that we just spoke about were taking nutrition and using it to our benefit as opposed to, trying to have nutrition not set us back. And I feel like a lot of times it's due to 
the habits that we put in place around us and the mindset that we have around nutrition that leads us to, to this type of thought process as, as opposed to using uh, nutrition as our ally and kind of putting it as the enemy, as unhealthy foods and foods that, that are going to kind of screw you up and foods that you can't have. Um, so Josh, when you were making that kind of transition and and what kind of things were the hardest for you to break? Do you remember like what nutritional habits you had in place that um, were kind of a struggle for you? Yeah, for sure, man. I, uh, I mean, like I was saying, I was, eat, I was drinking like Arizona iced teas and, and like monster, the sugary ones, the big ones, the BFCs, you know, the big cans <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, pizza like all the time. So it was a pretty hardcore switch. Uh, and yeah, it was just like the initial cravings were really hard. I hadn't really drank a lot of just plain water. So, uh, it might sound kind of silly, but yeah, you, you get like palate fatigue just from from water uh the mm. diet ended up being like really bland and uh you know at the end of the at the end of the day like sometimes you just want some diversity you just want like something playful something that's that's pleasurable to the taste buds you know they want some attention and uh and yeah if you, that's the thing about like this the standard american diet is it offers so much diversity and so much range all the sweets and savories and variations and it's just like it's so difficult to like to turn them down they're right they're right there for the taking so ultimately the greatest challenge is walking to a grocery store and seeing all that in front of you and you're just walking like straight to the meat and dairy department you know right and and we're predisposed to wanting foods that are high in calories just genetically to kind of keep the 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 species going it if when in times of famine like we are incentivized to eat things that are sweet and incentivized to eat things that are fatty because by them tasting awesome. So when we didn't know what a grocery store was, we knew that if we came across peanuts or something like that, that is something that we should eat and that's going to help sustain us a little bit more. And yeah, now like a sign of wealth to be, to be overweight. Totally. Like, all Kings were overweight. Right. Exactly. And like, and so we came through needing to be reminded to eat sweet and savory things because we needed those things before there was any of this, um, before the grocery stores, before there was any like thought behind nutrition, like way, way, way back. So that's still kind of wired within us. And that's why that shit tastes so good. And that's why like savory foods are awesome. That's why oils are awesome. That's why sugar tastes amazing and is really, um, helpful for us. And it's, and, and so we will have those cravings. You mentioned that, and those cravings are really something that are, that are hard to, to bust, um, without, without really shifting how you're kind of approaching things. So if you use like willpower or motivation just to kind of push off these type of cravings, like you're really kind of setting yourself up for failure. Cause those things, they are limited. Did, did you notice that at all? Like, would you, cause I know when I'm, when I am tired, <laughs> it's harder to make the proper decision on what I would like to do because will willpower will is fleeting. Have you found that? Totally, man. There's, I mean, you know, there's emotional feedback from all of this stuff. Like just like with smoking cigarettes, it'd be calming to, to smoke a cigarette. And so to get away from that, you know, you're like, but there's a feeling that goes along with that. That's really good. It's not just like, cause let's be honest, like cigarettes don't taste good. It's, there's mm. a feeling to it, but food likewise, like not only does it taste good, but like, you know, maybe the, the sugar gives you a quick little, little head high that you might not really recognize. You might not even like consciously recognize that, but it is making you actually feel really good. Your whole body is giving, it's giving you some quick energy, which you like, which might make some happy brain chemicals float around. And, uh, yeah, you might even, might not even really be thinking about that, but like, that's why we tend to eat emotionally, you know, whether you're tired or, or like sad or something. Yeah. You just like 
get that ice cream, you know, get out that Ben and Jerry. I know. And that's a thing right now that is so, such a struggle for people. And I hear people say like, oh, I'm putting on the COVID-19 or something like that. <laughs> it's a heavily emotional time. And we're home and we're around snacks and we're, you know, there's a lot of food, like everyone's stocked up on food. And so trying to break out of this type of habit and the, the emotional eating aside is just so challenging because food does a lot for us. It does. It, I mean, it's everything It is our fuel source. It, it is what, what keeps us going every single day. So a lot of times we turn to food to help us make us feel better because a lot of times it's the problem. Like if we are hungry, like we want food, will fix that. But that's all it's real. That all, that's all it fixes. It doesn't fix if you're sad. It doesn't fix if you're stressed. It doesn't fix all these other things. But the signals that are getting sent to you are kind of similar to to those like kind of stressful hunger feelings. So it's hard to kind of differentiate what is going to make what what food is for in those terms, especially because it's such an abundant time. So you mentioned like that you, you, people you might not even think about what's going on while you're eating, and that's a, a big issue around these emotional eating um problems that people have is that there is no mindfulness based around it and that's one thing that is is super important is develop mindfulness around these triggers so if there's times like oh i'm feeling uh, like oh i'm stressed food might help me feel less stressed so i'm gonna eat so it's uh, i think in charles duhigg's book he talks about like it's power of habit and he talks about there's like this habit loop where you have a cue there's an action and then it creates a result uh, along those lines. So like the cue would be stress eating would be the reaction and like uh, uh, feeling better would be the result. So really you just want the result. You just want to feel better. You want to feel less stressed and you're going through by eating. That's, that's the action that you're taking where there could be other things. It could be like taking a walk, doing meditation, doing pushups, taking some sort of exercise, anything that is going to take you out of that. So knowing what you're trying to get out of eating is really important. Like, are you eating for pleasure or are you eating to for sustenance, or are like, are you just stressed the fuck out and you and Dude, you're trying to eat to see if you can figure that out? Hundred percent. That's precisely what I was just thinking. Is like understanding the function of food and how it how it can play a role in all these ways. Like having that education, that knowledge, that is a super powerful tool. It's that to have. Yeah, and that's what's helpful about having. So where macros has really helped me a lot is, is taking the guessing game out. And and for you, it's along the same lines because we are kind of eating for performance and for, for a greater, a greater reason than just um, the here and now, like we have bigger plans with our nutrition. So it, it really takes out the idea of like, we know what we need to eat. We know how much we need to eat. So that's what's helpful about this. It takes it out. It's like, am I hungry? It's like, no, I know exactly how much to eat. I know, I, I know what, what, what to do here. Like, so, what goes through your mind when you're eating any particular meal? What's that? What goes like, what, what like goes through your mind when you're eating a particular meal? Like you're preparing it. What, what's going through your head about it? Other than you're probably going to enjoy it. I hope. Me? Yeah. Oh no, not really. <laughs> you guys don't enjoy it? I, uh, um, no, yeah, not that I don't enjoy, enjoy it. Like I just am like happy that I'm like, I, and I, my habits are so ingrained now that I'm more, it's more, I'm happy about the food that I'm eating and the decisions that I'm making to nourish myself in the ways that I am. Um, because it's been a, a long battle with this and, and that I've had as far as what foods to eat and, and what, and trying to find the right balance that is going to make me happy with my body composition and, and, and therefore my performance. So to me, it is more just a matter of 
the day. It's like, okay, it's, it's like putting on my clothes, you know, it's not even anything beyond that for me. And I know I'm unique that way because I don't find food pleasurable that often. Um, unless I'm going out to eat or, or doing something, it is more of a tool for me. And I know, and I know it's not super relatable and, uh, I don't, my palate is not very refined. So <laughs> like, I don't care what it, what my food tastes like. But it, but it still makes a lot of sense. Like you look at something like maybe a shot of apple cider vinegar, it doesn't like taste good, but you know, it's good for like insulin and, and digestion, right? Like totally. exercise doesn't always feel good, but you know, you're getting good adaptations to it. You do it because you know the results that come from it. It's and like the opposite. You feel good about it. You're like, it almost fools you into enjoying it. Exactly. It's like the opposite of a cigarette. Like, you know, it's not, it, it's not the actual pleasure of it. It's the effect that you're going to get from it. So yeah, I have no problem eating chicken and rice every meal. I have no problem <laughs> drinking apple cider vinegar or some shitty turmeric ginger cocktail or whatever. How dare um, you? Because, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, yeah, because I just know that there, there is that. Do you have any type of feelings that, that when you're preparing food along these lines? I, I gotta be honest with you and I'm not just trying to get you to come over to the dark fat side, but, uh, I do, I love everything I eat. I really do. It's, uh, I do really well with the, the food and the, I'm the blood work to prove it. All my blood markers are really good. Eating lots of fat. Uh, uh I eat a lot of salt, which is, which also makes me feel uh, really good. And it kind of helps with, uh, hydration in the absence of, uh, larger amounts of like carbohydrates. Mm. Uh, it's just kind of inconvenient when you sweat so much salt and you got like the crust around your face and like all over your stuff. I'm sure a lot of us get it though. Anyways, it's real nice. Nice image. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I eat food and like, I see the function like, all right, there's, there's 30 grams of carbohydrates in here. There's uh, there's 40 grams of protein. There's 40 grams of fat. Like that's a solid meal right there. I'm going to digest that. Well, that's going to do me good in an hour. I'm going to go for a run. That's mm-hmm. the perfect amount of energy to last me over. Like that's going through my head. But also when I eat it, I'm like, but this like tastes really good. Like enjoying the textures and like feeling good about like, you know, that's a organic potato. That's, that's grass fed beef. You know, I'm probably, uh, lately I added in some cream cheese, feeling a little naughty with the cream cheese, Nice, but, but it's calories <laughs> and, uh, you know, trying to be, uh, trying to be like financially good with, uh, with food right now, you know, there's kind of like a middle ground. It's like eat well, but also, also eat enough. Mm-hmm. So, so right. cream cheese entered the picture lately as a little, <laughs> as a tasty way to add some calories. Oh man. Yeah. When I was eating all like, all, like the, uh, tons of calories that I said before I would, uh, eat straight up coconut milk, full fat coconut, heck yeah, coconut milk. Yeah. Like in the can, not like it, like, and that shit is crazy. <laughs> it is so calorically dense. So yeah, if you're in a pinch for calories, that's, that's definitely the spot. Um, that's actually the pretty rad thing about like rice, like things like rice and potatoes, like the starchy, like calorically dense, really inexpensive things mm-hmm. that you can like eat all the time. Rice isn't a shortage, man. If you know a good place to get rice, let me know. It's been hard. I've been like, I, what's that? Send you some bulk. Send me some bulk, man. It's been hard to come across for real. Um, do you, do you, um, so along the same lines as, as, you know, not being able to use your motivation uh, and having like these cravings pop up and, and as you're working through some of these habits too, help kind of change that mindset to like, okay, like the habit is eating to help reduce stress or to um, make yourself feel better, whatever it is. The, one of the best things that you can do is prep your food. And this is not like some radical advice and like food prepping is just standard practice when it comes to improving your nutrition. Um, do you ever food prep? Uh, I actually, I, I used to quite a bit. Um, the reason I don't, right now is because my work schedule 
kind of allows me the time to cook and cooking for me kind of partially fulfills the role of like meditation. I just like really like being present, you know, with, with cutting up a vegetable or or cooking something and adding spices and tending to the pan. Yeah. It's just, there's something calming about it to me and like the scents and uh, you know, the smells and, and uh, the the heat and all that. There's just a lot of elements to it that I really, I personally really enjoy. So it's kind of like me time. So I, I choose to cook a lot. Yeah. But totally, but yeah, the purpose of, of meal prepping is uh is fantastic because like all a lot of it what it comes down to is like convenience Mm -hmm. it's the decision's been made like when you've already decided because these these times of motivation they're fleeting like they come and go so if you if you can make it automatic into your day that at three o'clock i'm eating this food that's been prepared then it takes that decision-making process out it's like laying out your clothes the night before you know like it's like okay this is what i'm gonna wear this is what i'm gonna eat like it's already done so you don't have to rely on that or spend any energy on those things and yeah i get what you're saying i i, I don't relate to the cooking i can I, i'm starting to whenever i meet anybody and i'll like if cooking comes up, i'm like oh you like to cook and they'll be like yeah i like to cook i'm like why tell me why i need to i'm i don't understand what you what you mean i'll but, say if you were single then i would tell you to start cooking me yeah Oh yeah, doesn't love a man that cooks. <laughs> that that just be I just like come up with it. I'll just come up with a story instead. <laughs> the, um, but yeah, I'll cook. Amy and I will cook, and and I'll 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 help. But I find it more exhausting than fulfilling. Um, but having a food prep strategy is really important, and having a time set along the day. And and this is another. This is something that, that I would put in the same category as mindfulness as something like meditation or journaling where if you don't plan out time and keep that time sacred to food prep you're probably not going to do it like it's something that you can just easily steamroll over and just be like oh i can cook when i'm when it's time and when i'm hungry but if you can prep food it's going to make a world of difference and it doesn't have to be that involved it doesn't have to you don't have to live that big tupperware life where you're having every meal planned out for the next three or four days um it could be as much as cooking a shitload of rice and a bunch of chicken and just having it to to serve yourself in in those moments um that could be vegetables it could be uh, any type of meat it could be whatever and as long as it can keep for a couple of days or if you even want to freeze some stuff like that is a really good strong practice to help make things a little more automatic um and have you ever done any of the um like food delivery service services you seen those like uh like butcher box or uh earth so well, butcher box is a good one that would be sweet actually um but more like uh there was one called kettlebell kitchen it recently went out of business there's one like territory foods um there's another one i think it's called eat clean bro where it's oh, like the eat clean bro. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, blue apron right blue- that's what right Blue Apron is kind of like this, only it is um, you cook your own food. They just send you the ingredients. So that'd be good for someone like you who likes to cook. For me, I didn't like Blue Apron. I thought it was stupid. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, I don't want to, I'm not interested. But um, no, it's like they will send you the actual meals. So you can pick up your meals that are ready to eat. Gotcha. No, I've never done that except when I was like, probably really young for some reason i loved like microwavable meals you know you open it up and it's like uh i don't know some steamy some steamy a gravy covered meat with like a side of mashed potatoes that were definitely powdered <laughs> it's just like yeah. loaded with artificial all artificial preservatives and stuff so they've definitely come a long way with with yeah. those things um but yeah they're cool and there's those are a good way i would if you're 
curious about those, just Google some food delivery things. And there are a lot of them, uh, snap kitchen are in the urban areas a lot and they'll have macros written right on there. Um, nice. so you know exactly what you're eating. You can adjust a lot of these things to think to something like keto or low carb, um, and, and just kind of adjust to fit your goals. So if you are so busy that you can't f- food prep, there are other ways to get around it. And if you can't seem to break that e- emotional pull to, um, you using your motivation to try to fight off cravings like there are there are ways around it there are definitely ways around it now with the, with the technology that's available to us um i don't know what it would be like now i know everything getting delivered is a little bit more strenuous um but if you haven't tried it i recommend that you try it so uh, another thing that i've found has been really kind of difficult for people that I've like coached and, and, and spoken to to kind of get over is using nutrition as a belief system instead of science. So we kind of talk about it from a perspective of what it does for you and how it works. But a lot of times people are like, no, I believe that carbs make you fat, or I believe that red meat gives you heart disease, or, or like they believe in a one style of eating and resist the fact that there is an actual science that is happening within. So those are really tough. And and along your lines, like there are people within in like the ketogenic area who would do that, who might, who aren't as well versed in this or well as researched as, as you would be. And they're like, I went keto. I lost 20 pounds. I believe that carbs make you fat now. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one's really hard because it's like prying people away from something that they really believe, but that like taking it outside of those things and, and researching what, what's actually going to work is, is pretty valuable. Um, do you ever find yourself getting like caught up in that, like knowing that like this works for you and like, this is the best way for you. Do you ever get caught up in like, I would never change it with, with clients with yourself. I, I, I am, I'm pretty willing to, to change things. I mean, there's, yeah, there's the scientific aspect um there's things you can do other like objective ways to see how you're really responding to food because like yeah you want it to taste good you want it to be like habits that you can hold on to you don't want to yo-yo too much because that can like play with your uh, with your hormones and uh but yeah there's new science coming out and it's like you can go and get 23andme or other uh, like DNA tests that tell you, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're Irish. You should eat more starches or something like that. Or like, oh, you don't have that APOE4 gene. You're not going to respond well to like higher levels of saturated fat. Like I'm, I'm pretty into that stuff, but I'm also, I'm really down with like the intuitive aspect. It's kind of like with your training, mm-hmm. you journal and you, you take notes and just be patient and kind of feel things out. So it's kind of a rough world out there, man. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'll I'll read one thing and then it's contradicted by someone else. You know, they're saying Mm -hmm. eat vegetables for the, for the polyphenols. And then someone else is saying, well, polyphenols are kind of unnecessary and they can uh, wreak havoc on your, on your immune system. And it's like, well, there's kind of, there's good arguments on both sides, but I also feel like there's a really fine middle ground. It's, Which is your way. <laughs> it's so, it's so frustrating and it's, and it's really confusing. It's really hard to know what to do when you can go and yeah, you can read any paper, you can go to a bookstore and there are literally conflicting diet books, quote unquote, next to each other that, that says this is the best way and this is the best way. And then people are divided and they want to have a team. They just want to have it figured out for them. They just want it to be done. Like I eat 
vegetarian. I eat ketogenic. I eat paleo. And that's it. <laughs> and like, that's the thing that worked for me. And then they don't have to worry about it anymore. And and the idea by, behind researching and changing things is scary, man, especially when people are coming out of things like that are restrictive, like keto or like, um, I get paleo is kind of a good idea or even if, or, or, or the other way if coming out of like being vegetarian, like, and bringing on things that you thought were harmful. It can be a really, really scary transition for people. Or in my case, like eating more, like I was trying to lose fat and I started eating 4,000 more calories than I had before. Like, that's like a scary thing, you know, when it's hard to really, um, it's hard to let yourself go there. And that's why it's important to journal and then like make sure you're, you're taking notes on what's happening to your body so that you have some data to collect and looking at it as a science. It doesn't have to be a science in a lab. It could be science based on how you feel that day or what's happening on the scale or how your performance is increasing. Like that's all data that you should collect while, while, while taking these things on as opposed to like, no, I believe that if I eat carbs, I'm going to get fat. Um, that's my, it's not the case and it probably won't be the case. Yeah, I think there's I think there's so much flexibility. I used to be a little more a, a little more hardcore towards the the high fat approach, but I I really do now think that there's there's so much flexibility based on my experience uh, and now that I've worked with more clients and seeing what they're going through and seeing that there's multiple ways to attack something that all work and like like you're pointing out it's like a lot of it has to do with the belief system, not just the science. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about changing your Instagram handle to like Keto Joshua? Keto no, but I'm, pr- I'm pretty positive. I had friends that said I should do that. I'm like, I am not going down that road, dude. Yeah. And then you're fucked. And then you gotta be keto for life. Someone, dude, like, watch. I, I'll get famous one day, and someone's gonna go back and pull that up or something off Twitter, and I'm gonna get again a bunch of trouble. It's like, what about that pizza I saw you eat, bro? Um, <laughs> it was all meat pizza. It was all meat, <laughs> straight meat, meat crust. <laughs> um, so yeah, and and this takes like an honest conversation with yourself, and it's hard that people like people a belief system is stronger than, than just like, Hey, like shaking somebody be like, listen, it's not gonna, it's not gonna matter. It'd be like trying to shake a religion out of somebody. And that's kind of how nutrition can, can boil down to people and, um, for, for people. So that just takes a hard conversation, a hard look in the mirror. It's like, am I doing this because I believe this is better for me? Or do I, am I doing this because I know, or am I doing this because I've, I've picked my side? Um, so I implore you to try different things because it's, it's not going to change who you are as a person. It's not going to change anything about your past or your future. It's just going to help you understand uh, how food makes you feel a little bit better. Um, and, and along those same lines, a huge trap that I find people fall into is the idea of being perfect. And this is in particular when people have body composition goals or they want to kind of shift things one way. They won't start unless everything is going to be just right. And if things go off the rails, they go way off the rails. It's like if they have, um, if you get like a perfect example would be if you're stuck at uh, a social engagement uh, when those happen again and the food out there is all bread. <laughs> it's all like straight up bread. Um, you can either just not eat it. And if you're fat adapted, you probably wouldn't have to, but like, say if you were in, if you were more on the lines of, okay, I want to stay within 2,300 calories today. And this is all uh, bread and cheese. And I'm going to have a tough time hitting my protein. Like, okay, fuck it. I'm just going to eat. And then when, and I'll get started tomorrow or I'll start next week fresh. And this is along lines. People want to do everything right and do everything perfect. But if you continue to try to be perfect, in life and nutrition, you'll just never get started. You'll never see anything happen with that. 
Um, so if you are in that kind of realm, and again, it, it kind of comes down to that, that conversation, like, what do you want to get out of this? Do you want us to be something that's sustainable and something that you can do for the long term, Or do you want just to push things off for as long as possible? Um, and I find that could be with anything. It could be with any, anybody's training as well. So have you, have you ever come across this with uh, like clients when it comes to training or nutrition in general? I, well, like with nutrition, you talked about being in an atmosphere that isn't conducive to their goals and they're having like perfectionism issues. Yeah. So it's more like they always have setbacks because they, once things don't go exactly how they want it to go, they push it off till later. Like if I can't do this just the way that it's supposed to be, then I don't feel like I should do it at all. And that is a good idea for some things, I guess, like, uh, I I can't think of an example right now, but for nutrition, like your life is never going to, you're never going to have all the things right at your fingertips at all time. Like life is going to happen. You're going to go on vacation. You're going to go to parties. So if you're trying to be perfect, like you just won't get started. Listen, man, that's, uh, and I'll, I'll say firsthand. I mean, I've had that, those issues myself with, uh, maybe it's like with exercise. I'm like, Oh, I can't get a good workout until I get this, you know, this 70 pound kettlebell. Mm. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm saying that I need something in order to, to do something when there's really a lot of things that I could actually do before I, I get there. And when it comes to, I haven't really had clients had this issue when it comes to actual training, but definitely with like nutrition, it's like, Oh, I'll start, I'll start trying this diet thing out at this date, you know, like, Oh, next month. Well, mm-hmm. what, why not take like little steps in the, in the meanwhile, why do you want to make a dramatic, like cold Turkey switch then? Why are you putting it off? It's cause the fact is that typically doesn't really work out well. Not only is it, it's like, it's not really a great habit to have. And uh, that's part partially because it doesn't end up working. Right. And, and it doesn't have to, when you put it off that way, like you, you put off learning, like there are going to be things that you're going to have to handle at some point. So you're always better to get started with something like this. Whereas like, Oh, well I would do it now, but you know, I have a birthday party this weekend. So how about we start Monday? It's like, all right, but like how much do you really want, this to, to change and how much do you want this to stick? Because you're going to have to go to a party at some point, you're going to have to go on vacation at some point. And, and that is to me is the key to nutrition and nutrition habits, nutrition change is making it fit into your life. You know, if like, if it doesn't fit your life, then it's not going to work ever. So you might as well start right now just to see what you can change and adjust things on the fly. And again, not, it kind of goes back to the last thing and then approaching it from like a self science and what's going to work for you. It's like, okay, if I want to like, maybe keto would work better for me because I, I would rather go to a party and just eat the, the, charcuterie board then and that's easier for me than trying See those to pigs in the blanket i'm taking yeah. them out of their blanket that blanket's gonna be cold <laughs> pop them in but uh exactly so like and and you need to find those ways like oh i actually have a better better time doing xyz in this scenario so you have to learn those things and then you have to have that conversation with yourself if you really want to change or not or if it's just something that you think you want to do because i found that a lot too it's like okay are you really do you really want to make change or you just think you should make change yeah, man. And then, so one of the last things I really want to touch on is uh, another kind of really negative and kind of damaging aspect of nutrition and exercise is using exercise as punishment or a uh, a license to eat whatever you want. And um, this, I think, is more 
this is definitely deep seated because I think people and a lot of times people who are really into exercise or into training, there's going to come along body image issues with that as well. And using exercise and working hard, a lot of times for people, it is just so they could have cupcakes or they had a cupcake last night and they felt like they were quote unquote bad, which we talk about a lot is like, there is no good and bad when it comes to those things. But using exercise as a punishment is, uh, or using it as a way to work off the food or give yourself a open, open range for whatever you want to eat later is really a hard one is really a negative place to be. And it's another one that's kind of hard to break. And it comes down to the relationship with food. Um, how have you ever had to combat that? I mean, you were into bodybuilding, right? And like your physique is nice, bro. I like it. Thanks dog. Thanks, You're welcome. Bro. You're welcome. Uh, so like, I mean, so it comes out. So like, I mean, you want to look good, you look good. So, I mean, like there is a chance that there, there, like you didn't do that on accident. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Cause like the, the relationship with food, like the, having understanding your food and this is where knowledge and like self-education comes into a big play where it's like you look at that cupcake and it's not just like oh sugar it's gonna make me fat i gotta work out hard tomorrow i mean i think still think there's room for that that cupcake but like see it with a different purpose rather than punishment it's like oh here's 25 grams of sugar uh looking at the rest of my day it's like there's room for this to top off my glycogen stores and this is going to help me with my workout tomorrow. And I feel like that's kind of a positive twist on it. Granted, you know, you're not eating like 20 cupcakes, which if you can, I challenge you to do it in like five minutes. Videotape it. It's a solid yeah. challenge, but there's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a hard balance, man. It's uh, it's looking at stuff and it's like, yeah, not punishing yourself, but like still having room in your life for some of those, those tasty snacks and treats. So knowing where the education kind of comes into play is one understanding like what it serves in the role of energy, but two understanding that, that, you know, that might have like icing with hydrogenated oils in it. And you're like that that's legit, like really bad for my arteries, you know, and it, it would behoove me to avoid eating too much of this thing. So, and if you like, you know, if you, if you care about your body, you probably won't have an issue eating, you know, too much of that. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to, you'll be able to easily avoid eating too much because yeah again you you kind of care about yourself so i think a part of it is like is respecting yourself and uh that just has to do with like your self relationship so uh so yeah just kind of educate educating yourself on the roles that food ends up serving mm -hmm. and you mentioned that a couple times and that's the thing that's like the biggest the bigger issue here is the relationship with the, their self and, and, and if you care about your body, if you care about yourself, uh, then there, there, there shouldn't really be this issue or it should make it a little bit easier. But a lot of times people don't, you know, like that's pro that's a lot of the problem is that they don't care. They don't respect themselves or they have body issues or they hate their body. And, and, and these are things that are, are, are deep seated, right. And like learning and educating yourself about food will be really helpful, but also like what it means to you and, and, and what you can what you're, what you can get out of it and why it feels that way. So it really takes a lot of asking yourself that same thing. Like, why is this a problem? Like, why do I, why don't I want to eat? Why do I want to look good? Why, why do I feel like I'm fat? And, and these type of questions and really kind of boiling things down is hard questions, but these are the things that are going to really help with opening up your eyes to the relationship you have with food. And, and really, you know, we talk about learning your why a lot and there's a why behind the relationship with food as well. And so if you can really kind of look deep within yourself and, and identify that 
relationship and, and what it has to do with food and, and, and the way you look at yourself, that's going to be the best, the best bet. But for the most part, if you're, if you're being honest with yourself, you'll know if you're, if you're using exercise as punishment or if you're just doing it to work off food, as opposed to using food as your ally, like kind of what we talked, what I talked about right in the beginning, use it as your ally, as opposed to your enemy and, 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 and mending that. And a lot of times that comes down to actually having like some sort of therapy, <laughs> like doing legitimate therapy and having like legit conversations with other people who are uh, like versed in this type of thing and then the psychology behind food. So if that's you, I hope that you would reach out for, reach out for, to a professional with some help because uh, that ain't, that's just not going to clear itself up by uh, prepping some meals, you know, but prepping meals will help. It'll help. No doubt. It'll freaking help. So those are some yeah. of the, the things that that I see quite often when it comes to the nutrition habits. And uh, this is a really important thing because I think that, yeah, the nuts and bolts of nutrition and the, and, and what nutrition does and how it's helpful, like that's all cool. But unless you can put it into your life, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> like the, the science books don't matter. Like the, the habits books, I feel like are a little bit more helpful when it comes to how to make these things work and, and stick. Um, cool, bro. So what do you got going on this week? Dude, I am. Uh, I'm super stoked. I've been doing more, uh, more mountain running now that like all the trails have thawed out. Nice. So I get to enjoy the uh, the technical pleasures of the uh, of the earth around me. Yeah, the Catskills have been calling, man. So doing a big volume week. Uh, probably gonna hit like just like 50 miles running because I'm a that's I'm a low volume guy for the most part. That's high volume for me. But, well, I mean, like, but when they're mountain miles, those are different. Oh, dude, it took me I spent four hours doing, uh, doing 13 miles right. the other day. Yeah. It was just up, down, up, down. It was awesome. So yeah, time, time on fees. That's definitely different. And is that but, just prepping uh, for that, um, FKT through Connecticut or to Connecticut? Dude. Oh, I got the lead up for that. So the, the trail that I hit last week, I'm going to hit again this week. Uh, it is a section of the trail of a trail that I'm trying to get the FKT on coming up. Uh, just waiting for like. I'm going to do a little rest week going into it. Hopefully there'll be like a nice cool weekday. Cause like weekends it's packed and like when it's hot, it just sucks. I like cool weather, but, uh, but yeah, that'll be, that's devil's path. And then that'll be a lead up going into, I'm like building up that one will take about uh, four and a half hours, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the Connecticut, that'll probably be more in like the 11 hour range. And then there's New York, uh, AT, which will probably clo- be closer to like that 20, 22 hour range. So working up to it. Sweet, man. Yeah. So you got, you got some good stuff and that's cool. You have, you have some, some goals out there that you can train toward and you need them, man. Do you think, do you, do you dream about doing these things like in your actual sleep? Bro, yes, I do. My dreams have been lit lately. I, uh, I dreamt of tempo runs night before last and I was planning on going for a, for a, a tempo run and I felt so good, so good going out for it. Like my rest was so, was awesome. And here's the cool thing folks is that when you dream about stuff is like you actually can improve like neural connections and pathways in your sleep. Like, so when, when you're in REM sleep, you are actually like solidifying memories and like neurons are repairing, but like the stuff you dream about can, uh, l- l- like you can create new patterns in your, in your brain, which is like, this is like a little tangent, but like if you're an athlete and you, if you can dream vividly out there, uh, and you can like manipulate your dreams to make you do something like athletic, that's actual like training. There's brain training that's going on in there. And those patterns and like skills can manifest in your conscious life. So 
I ran a hardcore tempo run in my dream, went yeah. out and had an awesome run. Lucky. Yeah, because I never dream about cool stuff. I dream about running super slow. I'm like crawling. I can't I can barely move. It sucks. It's like Nightmare. negative training. Nightmares. That's a nightmare. That's not a dream. I never I never win races in my sleep. I never run fast in my sleep. It sucks. Dude, why does that always happen, man? I, I wish yeah, I wish I could like go back and, and, and train myself to to read better. What if you dreamt about reading? I would, that'd be cool if you could start to figure out ways to, to, to manipulate your dreams to do that. Cause I've heard that about that the neural connections in just visualization and how that will make you. And I've definitely felt that like picking up skills, like in the gym, like I've been able, I just will obsess about it and think about it all the time. And then I'll be able to do them better. Um, but yeah, yeah, I wish, I wish you could just stick it in there. That's the future, man. Lucid, like lucid dreaming, getting more into lucid dreaming and be able to like control. Cause yeah, you're like, when you're asleep, your body's getting the rest. So you can move around when you're actually like awake. But if you can be conscious enough within your dreams, it's like, it's like you're just getting, cause gosh, man, we sleep 30% of our life. You know, like if you can use that extra 30%, that's, that's the key to unlocking more of the brain or something, you know? I mean, that should be, that should be the uh, thing that we've tried that weren't, wasn't mainstream sleep training. Dude. <laughs> it took us an entire episode to I, I, get the real answer. What's that? I said, I hadn't thought about it really much before, but like now it's on the radar. Now it's here. We got to pioneer training. this thing. Hashtag sleep training. We got to pioneer this thing. Yeah, um, what do you got going on this week, dog? I am still kind of on downtime. I didn't, I didn't run from Saturday until Friday last week. <gasps> it was, I mean, I, I, I did a little bit. I did some like stairs and did some, some other stuff just to be active um, and just like help my brain. Um, so I'm running a little bit this week, but that's really it. Like really just kind of chilling. I actually started, I mentioned, I asked you about the, the um, subjects that you were bad in at school. I was a, a really poor student, like all the way throughout and uh, like English terrible Uh Science wasn't great. I enjoyed science more, but I still like didn't do well in it. But I was really bad at math. I didn't understand how math worked at all. And I just thought it was like memorization and trying to remember these equations. And if I couldn't, I was screwed. And I would just, and and if a teacher, and I would fall behind in class, never proactively try to catch up. And it was just abysmal. But there's this thing online called the Khan Academy. Have you ever heard of it? No, but I like it. It's uh, it's just like an online education platform. It's free, so I went on there and I'm taking algebra one. Nice algebra one. So nice. I'm learning all about that. So it's been pretty cool. I do it in the mornings, get my brain up, get working, doing some math. I'm not very good at wake up and do some math. Yeah, I won't do anything until I do my morning algebra. Okay, first thing. <laughs> I got to um, brush up on my trig. Trig. I was I was probably like. 10 class 10 like classes away from trig they're like hey what about trig they're like you can't you gotta start all over if you want to think about trig oh okay okay was the name of this website khan academy is that what you said yeah i think it's k-h-a-n oh okay dude you said khan i thought like khan artist and i thought that like spark notes and all of those websites where you could like pretty much cheat yourself cheat your way through school this this is a a website that teaches you math so that you can manipulate people to give you their money and you can con them in the long term so it really is profitable and this is kind of speaking my language get you ready for wall street word but first algebra i can't go to wall street without knowing how to balance equations and simplify 
Dude, just watch Wolf on Wall Street like three times straight through. Dude, I just I watched that recently. Attitude, not Matthew. Yeah, that's a good movie, man. That's a wild movie. It's it's after. It's so funny. It's like the first time I saw it, I didn't look at it as like a comedy. And then I watched it a second time as a comedy. And I was like, this is the most hilarious movie I think I've ever seen. It is so funny. Leo is unbelievable. And he's so good. You also got to appreciate when like uh, a movie commercial doesn't do a really great job at telling you what's going on. Because like when you watch commercial on TV, it has to be PG more or less or like PG-13, right? Yeah. But it was like R. So my brother, my brother brings his son to the movie theater and he was like, yeah, 16 or 17 at the time. He was with his dad. So, and they go in there and like the movie starts going and like a quarter of the way through, he looks over and it's like, holy shit, I did I not think it's like, end on yeah. this. I think it's like 10 minutes in and there's something rough going on. Like, <laughs> I went, so every Christmas, Christmas day, my family, we go to the movies. We've been going since like 96. Every, every year we go, we see a different movie and we pick it together. Tradition. Tradition. Tradition, it's great. I love it. It's like my favorite thing. And one, and we went and saw Wolf of Wall Street, and it was like, yeah, my brother, me, my brother, and my dad. It was that. He's like, he's like doing blow off of like a naked butt, and like I was like, oh my god, (laughs) so rich. So that is rich. So maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I didn't think it was funny the first time I saw it. You're just mortified, like, oh man, I am here with my parents. It's like, uh, (laughs) it's like. On on Christmas, nonetheless. Um, all right, homie. So, where can we yeah, find never. you? What, what, where you at on social? Uh, Keto Joshua. I'm gonna make that pronto. You better. I'm, you just, better get I'm it. only gonna put pictures of steak. That is gonna be it on the steak daily. With butter, steak with butter on it. Got to up that bag. Got to keep them proportions right. Steak with butter, dude. Oh my gosh! There's an episode of South Park where they took the periodic t- or the uh, the table of nutrients and they flipped it, and like all of a sudden, everyone's just eating steak and butter. It's a great that's, episode. That's a thing, man. That's the Atkins. They're, they're probably making fun of Atkins at that time. Yeah, so good. <laughs> I just thought of Ryan. That's <laughs> why his thing. That's why his handle is Ryan Atkins Diet. <laughs> genius, genius. Uh, my handle is uh, J A underscore S H U A underscore R I E D. And Rich, how about you, boy? I'm reinforced underscore running underscore Rich. Reinforcedrunning.com. All that deal. Do YouTube, Facebook. Same deal. Hold it. Subscribe. Hit us up. Um, cool. Well, thanks for listening to this point. We, <laughs> we appreciate that. Yeah. Ramble on. <laughs>